Thanks, Gene. Please keep our musicians in prayer. Tomorrow night is the biggest night of the year for them in terms of ministry. And some of them are not feeling well, including that guy right there, although he didn't want you to know that. But uh, he has a bad cold and is weak in his throat. And so pray for all of them, that God will give them strength for a wonderful evening of ministry. I want to thank you for working especially hard to be out for the first service. Uh, this is a, a larger group than I thought might be here. Last night, my wife and I were at someone's home in Victoria when this thing hit, and what took us 40 minutes to drive to took us an hour and 45 minutes to get back from. And some of you had the same experience, I think. But uh, we thank the Lord for your safe arrival here, and I imagine we'll have others who will be coming in for the second service this morning uh, who normally are in the first service. Yesterday, I was... Uh, visiting in a hospital and, and uh, in an elevator and started giggling to myself and uh, I was the only one in the elevator at the time that's why I was free to giggle because I was recalling something my wife and I heard on uh, a talk radio program about a week and a half ago do any of you ever listen to Garage Logic Joe Sustery in the afternoon uh, some of you are able to do that normally I can't but I happened to hear it this day and, and he was he was uh, reading something he had gotten from a listener called Fun Things to Do in an Elevator. And uh, that's what I was remembering as I was giggling yesterday. So I thought I would share a couple of these with you this morning. These are fun things to do when you're in an elevator. Grimace painfully while smacking your forehead and muttering, shut up in there, all of you, just shut up. <laughs> Or you might want to crack open your briefcase or your purse and while peering inside ask, got enough air in there? <laughs> or you might want to greet everyone who gets on the elevator with you with a warm handshake and ask them to address you as Admiral. <laughs> and then he suggests you might want to meow occasionally. These are all fun things to do in an elevator. And then uh, you might want to wear a puppet on your hand and use it to talk to the other passengers. Now, just suppose you were in an elevator with someone acting that way. What would you want more than anything else? Get to get out of there. Of course, you would want, let's get out of here. You would want to run. And you wondered how I was going to get to my sermon this morning. This is it. Because we're going to talk about a wonderful Christian Christmas name. And that is the name for Jesus a savior because a savior is someone who comes to rescue you to get you out of that situation that is more than uncomfortable that is right down dangerous and perilous to your soul I invite you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 2 here we have the familiar account of the birth of Jesus to the shepherds in their fields outside the city of Bethlehem, the angels appeared and made an announcement. In verse 10, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. 
Notice that statement. A Savior has been born to you. A Savior is one who rescues another. It may mean pulling a person out of a burning house or dragging an unconscious individual out of a wreck. It could involve paying off a debt that jeopardizes another person's future or intervening to get someone out of prison. There are many ways in our contemporary culture in which a, a savior might be illustrated. I think we have a good one in the New uh, Mexico Congressman Bill Richardson, who was this week appointed to be the new UN ambassador. Uh, Mr. Richardson has gone around the world in several situations to negotiate for hostages and most recently was able to secure the release of a young man who was imprisoned in North Korea. Apparently he was a Christian, a new Christian, and in his zeal to serve the Lord, he went to Korea and broke some laws and witnessing and passing out literature, and they put him in prison for it. And this congressman was able to rescue him. Well, there is an illustration of a savior. But the word savior is used uniquely of one person, really, in the history of the world. This one was also given the name Jesus, or Jehoshua, which means Jehovah saves. And the reason, said the angel, that he was given that name was that he would save his people from their sins. When we talk about this glorious Christmas name, Savior, we're talking about it in reference to one who was in another class of saviorhood altogether than the illustrations I used earlier. For Jesus, in a singular way, is God's only Savior for the condemned human race. There is no other Savior but Him, and there is no other salvation for the human race but that which this Savior provided for. As it says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This morning, before we go our way and shovel some more snow, I suppose, I'd like for us to consider three facts, three crucial facts about this one who is our Savior. The first fact is this, that a Savior is aware. A savior is someone who knows the need. He's able to grasp the peril that another person is in. Not only does he know it, but he feels it. And he cares about it. Now this may seem to you rather obvious. But I want to reiterate that it is a crucial fact. For one who would rescue must first know the facts of the peril before he can rescue. The first occurrence of the word Savior in the Bible underscores what I'm saying. <clears throat> the first time the word Savior is used is in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Let me read to you some verses from that chapter. The Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. Listen to these words now. In a desert land, 
He found him. God found Jacob, Israel, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. Notice all of those verbs that describe God coming to the rescue of his people. Later in the paragraphs it says, however, that Jeshurun, which is a poetic name for Israel, it means the beloved one, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, he became heavy and sleek. He abandoned the God who made him and rejected the rock, his Savior. That's the very first time the word Savior is found in the Bible. And you see it's in conjunction with how God intervened for Israel, although Israel did not in the end submit to him. It's referring back to the time when God delivered Israel from Egypt. Listen to these words again from Exodus chapter 3. Then God said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look on God. The Lord said, listen to this now, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. You see my point here? The one who would be a savior must be aware of the situation. We see the illustration in the fact that God was aware of Israel's trouble in Egypt. God had seen their misery. He had heard their cries. His heart was concerned about their suffering. He is the rock, the savior of Israel. And I want you to know that our Savior was aware of our need when he came into the world. Of course, as the eternal God himself, he understood fully the judgment we were under because it was his own judgment. It was the condemnation that he himself had to pronounce upon us because of our sin and rebellion against him. He knew. He knew the peril of our souls. And he was concerned for us. And that's why he came. That's why he came down to rescue. He was aware. But the second crucial fact for a Savior is that a Savior not only knows the situation, he is able, he is qualified to do something about it. Both things are necessary. One who would be a savior not only has to understand the danger, he has to be able to do something. Jesus' mission was to rescue sinful sinners. 
from uh, God's holy wrath. This rescue that he came to carry out must necessarily mean his own death. And why is that? Because nothing will avert or deflect or nullify God's judgment. God's judgment calls for death upon the sinner. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. And that judgment must be carried out. God's wrath must be satisfied in order for those that are under the judgment, under the wrath, to be rescued from it. That is the only means by which a sinner can escape his peril. God cannot merely overlook the sin. God cannot merely ignore the sin. The sin has to be dealt with. It has to be paid for. Someone must die, the sinner or his Savior. And when Jesus came, he knew that. For Jesus to be able to act as our Savior, he must have two essential positions. First, he must be in a position to represent us. He has to be in a position to represent the interests of humanity. When he would die, he could not merely die for one man. He had to die for all men. He must be a man who could act as a representative of all of the rest of his race, just as Adam did in the garden when he was tested and failed. The one who would come to be our Savior had to come in the likeness of Adam so that he could represent all of us. He had to be in a position to represent man. That's why he was born in the manner that he was. For unto you is born this day in David's city a Savior. He had to come into the human race as one of us. He had to be in a position to represent our interests. But the second position that he had to have was that he had to be in a position to represent God's interests. This one who would be the Savior had to be righteous according to God's holy law. He had to be one who was undefiled by Adam's sin. He had to be one who would voluntarily accept the role as a substitute for the guilty. He had to represent the interests of God. And the wonderful truth is that Jesus perfectly and uniquely filled both of these positions through the miracle of the Incarnation. He came to live, to exist as man. And as we've talked in the last couple of weeks, without our sin because of his unique virgin birth. But he was born as a man yet without our sin. At the same time, he continued to exist as infinite God, as infinite God. Therefore, he was infinitely righteous. And when he, the infinitely righteous one, would suffer and die, he would die an infinite death, thus satisfying the wrath of God 
for all of humanity, not just one. And so the Apostle John writes, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Later he says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That New International Version translation, atoning sacrifice, means propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. But that is an old word for us. It comes out of the old English, as a matter of fact. It means to appease. Thus, propitiation expresses the idea that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to appease God's wrath. He died to satisfy God's wrath. He died to pay the price for sin, which a holy God demanded of man the sinner. Originally, the idea of propitiation was a pagan idea. In pagan thinking, one who would appease their gods was one who would bring a sacrifice of his own hands or offer his own blood by slitting himself or doing something to appease God's wrath. And putting this word into the New Testament, God picked up that word and washed it off and sanctified it and gave it a new setting. For in the New Testament, it's not what we do to satisfy God. It is this wonderful truth that God demanded the price and then paid it himself. This holy God pronounced the judgment of death upon sinners, but then came into the world himself to pay that price and to satisfy his own judgment. There's a wonderful truth. A Savior must not only be aware, he must be able. And Jesus Christ is supremely able because of his unique person as God and man to represent both and thus to rescue the sinner justly. But there's a third crucial fact I want to get to regarding saviorhood. A savior is aware, a savior is able, and thirdly, a savior is actuated. That is, he's not only able to save, he does save. He is motivated to intervene. He takes the steps that are necessary to rescue those who are in danger. And the wonderful good news that we have from God's word is that Jesus did all that was necessary. Listen to the words of the writer of Hebrews. When Christ came into the world, he said, quote, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. This is God the Son speaking to the Father. And he is recounting what happened when he came into the world. And he says, you, you were not satisfied with the burnt offerings and the sin offerings. 
And my response, Father, was, Here I am. Here I am. And you prepared a body for me. It is written about me in your scroll. And I have come to do your will, O God. What a wonderful response of our Savior. For he not only understood the peril of our souls, not only was he able to save us, but he actually came and undertook that work. I have come to do your will, O God. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By God's will, we have been made whole. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, he says later, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He acted on our behalf. He laid down his life. He went to the cross. And there he made the propitiation. There he pleased God. There he satisfied God's just demands, his condemnation upon us, so that he might save us. Not only did he die, though, but what? He rose from the dead. He was raised from the dead. His saving death was necessary, but so was his resurrection. And now he lives to apply the salvation that he purchased at the cross. And so the writer of Hebrews says earlier in the book, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Our Savior was actuated. He was motivated. He came down. He offered the sacrifice. He was raised from the dead. He was exalted to the heavens. And today he is carrying out the work of saving those who come by faith in him. Jesus is God's only Savior for the world. I began with that, and I close with that. That Jesus is God's only Savior for the world. The human race, and that includes all of us, and is under the just condemnation of God for its rebellion against him. The human race is under the sentence of eternal death in hell. And that includes you, and it includes me. But Jesus is aware of our peril. He is able to rescue us from our damnation. He is actuated to intervene. And he is able and available to save anyone who will come to him right now. now as I envisioned this Sunday morning and prepared this message, 
I envisioned a larger crowd than this. And I envisioned Christmas visitors who would be here at this season and who would need to hear this message. But you know something? Every one of us who knows the Savior not only loves to hear this message again, but we need to hear this message again. We need it to fall upon our hearts with a certain freshness. Because we hear this and have heard it so much throughout the course of our lives that it becomes almost common and ordinary. It is good for us to be reminded, I hope in a fresh way, that we have a Savior because we needed one. And that Savior who delivered us from the guilt of our sin when we trusted him is able also to deliver us from the power of sin. You see, he was not only the Savior when I was nine years of age and trusted Christ, and when you trusted Christ at whatever age and wherever that was. But he is still our Savior. He is saving us today and every day from the power of sin in our lives. And one day, thank God, he's going to come again and save us from the presence of sin. As we enter into this uh, very heart of the Christmas season, I hope that you and I will be able to look up to the Lord afresh and say, Jesus, thank you for being my Savior. And Jesus, thank you for saving me today from the impulses of the sin that still is at work in my body. Thank you for saving me today from the transgressions where I have failed. Thank you for saving me today from the circumstances and situations I have gotten myself into in my life. Because you see, not only was he your Savior, he is your Savior and mine. And he will continue to be that until that day that we are safe at home in glory with him. Martin D. Hahn, who has inherited the work of the Radio Bible Class, a great ministry in Grand Rapids that many of us are familiar with, and the Day of Discovery television broadcast, wrote an article a couple of years ago in which he was talking about D-Day in Europe and what it meant to the Europeans to have the Allied forces land on the beach. And within the course of just a few weeks, a million soldiers and the Allied forces were there to liberate Europe. And then he had this to say. Each year in December, we celebrate the anniversary of another D-Day. Although it was also the beginning of a campaign that would liberate millions from the most evil empire the world has ever known, this invasion army, controlled space, did not begin with the roar of amphibious troop carriers or the deafening explosions of incoming fire. This invasion, he says, began with the cry of a newborn baby. Through the unwitting actions of a godless king and the confusion of a young couple whose dreams were interrupted by an unplanned pregnancy, heaven established a beachhead in Bethlehem. 
And 30 years later, that son would sacrifice his own life to carry out the greatest liberation the world would ever know. That's a Savior. That's a Savior. And I like his statement that God established a beachhead in Bethlehem and 30 years later carried out the liberation. And the ramifications of that are still being felt around the world and can be felt in your heart today if you have not experienced that liberation. If you have not yet experienced what it means to be rescued from the guilt and the condemnation of sin, you may experience that today. And there are only maybe one person here in this small crowd this morning who has not done that. But Jesus knows your situation. And he loves you. He cares. And he's able to do something. He has acted on your behalf. And now he's available for you. Just one person. If you will open your heart and receive him as an act of faith. Will you do that today? Will you trust him? Will you receive God's Christmas gift to you? For unto you also, to you, Savior has been born. Let's pray together. And if there be someone here who does not have that personal relationship with Christ, who has not experienced his saving act in your own life, I want to invite you to come up afterward and to greet me and to say, Pastor, I'd like to know more about what you were talking about. I'll be glad to, to make an appointment with you to, to talk later today or this week and to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And you don't need to wait till later this week. You can do it right now. You just open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I invite you to come in. I understand that you're my Savior and you're, you're God's only provision for my salvation. So I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me. Make me clean in your eyes. Friend, when you do that, Jesus begins to live in you. And he will keep on saving you from the ravages of sin and the patterns of sin in your life and one day will take you home where you won't need to deal with sin at all anymore Father I, I thank you for Jesus that he was born for us that he might rescue us from the condemnation we so richly deserve thank you that in him we have been liberated Help us to live that way this week. Help us to experience the saving life and power of Jesus as we walk through the week ahead and, and show him and demonstrate him to others around us. Would you stand with me, please, and with our heads bowed, let's sing this little chorus. 
All of my heart, take all of my heart, Lord Jesus. Let's sing that. All of my heart, all of my heart, take all of my heart, Lord Jesus. Take all today, take all I pray, take all of my heart, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all of our devotion, all of our heart. So, receive our worship and receive our devotion as we go from here this morning. Thank you for bringing us safely here to worship. And now would you bless as we continue in fellowship or get on the roads and travel, would you bless with the joy of your presence. Amen. God bless you. Thank you again for being here this first service this morning.